Welcome to the True Crime Squad. This is Katie Weaver. I'm here with my sister, co-host, and partner in crime, Christy Brower. Hello. Hello. Hey, everybody. How's it going? You know, it's good. Um, do you ever get paid to show up at work and then not have to work? Because that happened to me today. That's pretty cool. I'm an Amazon Flex delivery driver, just part-time. And apparently they overbooked drivers today. So I showed up to work on time, ready to work, but they didn't have a route for me. So I got paid to go home. So, hey, I can't cool. that. Also, there's a cat behind me. If it looks like I have an ear coming out of my ear, it's a cat <laughs> ear. Yeah, that was kind of sweet. I was like, you know what I did? I went shopping. I went to Target. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to go yeah. do something for myself then. That's pretty cool. I love yeah. it. Sounds amazing. I didn't even know that was a thing, but hey. I'm, I've only been doing this like six weeks. So, yeah. Well, occasionally you'll get a day like this, apparently. That's pretty apparently. Nice. I was like, I'll take it. I love it. Yeah. Very cool. How are you? Oh, I'm good. We spent the afternoon uh, watching softball. <laughs> ah. Now that Mars is home, some of our dear family friends, uh, their team was playing for uh, the district title so that they can go on to state, their high school team. So oh, nice. we went and watched their game, and indeed, uh, they won <laughs> thirteen mm -hmm. to one. They run ruled that team. They Jesus, there was no stopping mm -hmm. them. I can't wait to see what they do at state. So yeah, it was fun. Nice was to go fun. watch a game that you don't have any stakes in. You know, right? You can just like, enjoy it and not. Yeah, care. you can be a little nervous or not or whatever, but it doesn't matter because it's not really win or lose. It's whatever you know. So. Right. But yeah, it was kind of fun. Our little, our friends, their daughter, uh, well, mom is the coach actually, but uh, she's their pitcher and she's really quite the ace. But when she got up to bat the second time, the first time she hit a, like a single, it was no big deal. Second mm -hmm. time she got up to bat, there were two runners on and they walked her. They intentionally walked her. They didn't even pitch to her. They just put her on base. And I was like, wow, that's pretty aggressive where you, you know, this early right. in the game, but Okay. Next time she gets up to bat, there are two Sorry. runners on base, and she put it over the fence. Oh. So I'm like, okay, I get it. And then they, the they next time she got up to bat, there were two runners on, and they needed one more point to end the game to run rule them, and um, she put it over the fence again. <laughs> okay. so, that's fantastic. I get it now. Yeah, so pretty fun. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. So we've been I also enjoyed today. Oh, what? Oh, I also enjoyed today because I got to look into some other cases. <laughs> it was kind of nice. To, yeah. I mean, it's not like we're done with Vallow. We're definitely not. But it was kind of nice to actually go oh. lift my head up and go, what else is going on? I, <laughs> I don't even mm -hmm. know. Found some interesting really interesting. To share with you. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about Vallow. There was court today. It was mm -hmm. it was minor. It was arguing about what, uh, still kind of arguing about charges, but it's a little too late. But also just mostly arguing about what uh, should be on the jury instructions. Yeah. And we know that's a big, uh, 
big thing for the defense and very important mm-hmm. that they get it right. So there's no uh, grounds for appeal on 404B, but. Right. So they, they worked all that. They hashed out that out. So this morning we figured that the courtrooms, because tomorrow, of course, is when uh, opening argument or closing arguments uh, begin. Yeah. And now we're hearing that actually they're going to do jury instructions first. So first thing in the morning is jury instructions, which is backwards from the way we had it. Um, and then they will move into closing arguments. So that's what tomorrow looks like. So mm-hmm. we figured that since everyone had rested, that the courtroom would probably be a crowded place. So we got up at exactly, I mean, we all set our alarms. We were ready. Mm-hmm. I started to apply for my ticket. I, I even tried twice before they even opened it. I did um, too. I, it took me like three tries before I got through. Me too. The website was moving super, super slow. I applied for my ticket. I applied our, my daughter, Mars, that's home. She's going to go to court with us tomorrow. Um, more, the more typing thumbs, the better. I think it's going to be a very fast day. Um, anyway, by the time I got both of our tickets done, I didn't get an email right away, which you normally do. And so I was kind of thrown off. So and I had, we had all texted each other and Sue's coming too. And you know, that we had all got our tickets. We're all good. But I was like, I'm weirded out that I didn't get an email. So I went yeah. back thinking maybe I should just request my seat again. Maybe I screwed up. Oh no. By 8.04, Madison was full. Yeah. Madison has not been full one time in this mm-hmm. tribe. No. Full now. Then I get on Facebook and discover that Justin Lum and Nate did not get in to Ada. And we're both in a panic trying to figure out what to do. And I believe both of them were gifted tickets from other people. So I saw had... other people offering them up. Well, I, just, I offered I... Justin's Mars. Mars said Justin could have hers if uh, he wanted to come to Rexburg. So I did offer it to him. Yeah. But yes, somebody did give Justin and Nate tickets. Can you imagine? I mean, I was disgusted at the fact that, or the thought that we wouldn't be there. Right. But for them to not be there too, I mean... It's been really unfathomable to me that there weren't a certain number of seats that were assigned to media that they didn't mm-hmm. have to apply every single day like everybody else. So dumb. It, the whole, it's been a pain in the butt. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I uh, I set an alarm for 7.55 mm-hmm. to remind me to start, you know, getting everything up and ready. Yeah. But the website was slow. You could tell that there were a million people doing the same thing. Yes. Yep. Now, Madison will be interesting because initially they said that Madison would have one viewing room and a courtroom, and then there would be an additional overflow viewing room. But there hasn't been because they haven't needed it. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to see if they're using that tomorrow or if they've eliminated that and it's just the courtroom because the courtroom is small. It doesn't it actually seat little. that many. It seats like 25 maybe. Yeah. So it's pretty crazy. But... We will be live tweeting and live Facebooking, and we will be back tomorrow night to tell you all about it. We will. Um, and also, all while arriving there in the morning and trying to uh, vie for some decent seats so that we can see and hear, we've got to do that again. Because if there's court on Friday, well, then by God, we got to be there. So right. we've got to go this through could that take all more over than one again. Day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it could easily take more than one day, Wild. especially with jury instructions in the morning. Mm-hmm. I know. It's going to take the, a hot minute. I think they're fairly lengthy. 
It sure sounds like it. Looking like, because yeah. they were talking about the numbering of it. And, you know, it was mm -hmm. close to 40, I think. And they will go through every bit of that. Yeah. That's going to take quite a while. Yes, there's so many news people in Boise. Everybody's there. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, Paula, I kind of agree with you there. We had an experience uh, when we were in, still in Fremont when they quit uh, streaming these and we started going to court in Fremont that uh, the first time we went, the, the officer that was like, you know, kind of checking people in that asked us, are you press? Actually more like, are you press? <laughs> and, and we said, no, because mm -hmm. we're not we're really not. technically. And he said, Oh, good. And we went, Oh, they don't, they're not taking real kindly to the press. Judge Boyce clearly is not real thrilled with the press and all of the coverage of this case. So, yeah, I feel like this has been an intentional fuck you to the press. Well, it has because anywhere else they were going to be sure that like there would be seating yeah. that would be reserved for press. I mean, we have yeah. the right for our press to be in all of these things. That is Absolutely. our right as citizens. Um, but yeah, we, you know, we aren't affiliated. We could be, it's not that hard to actually be press and have press passes, but we've found that it no. is actually better for us to not be. We just kind of move around under the radar. radar and yeah. 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 Cause we're going to be headed back to Fremont. Conference. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be headed back to Fremont with Chad. Also, no. we had been told, um, uh, here at Madison that they did not expect at the jail that Lori would be coming back here. Nate reported last night that her sentencing will be at Fremont. Wow. And if that's correct, then yes, she will be coming back here. Right. If they're going to sentence her there, they're bringing her back. Wow. Mm -hmm. Pretty crazy. So, you know, and again, there's a lot of, none of us know for certain what's going to mm -hmm. happen. It's, it's, we're, we're going by what we've been told and what, you know. Well, and I think that they're going, flying by the seat of their pants. A hundred percent. Yeah. Without a doubt. You know, our, our local people have not dealt with something like this before. And so this no. is new to everyone. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But that's interesting. But I mean, we don't need to, I mean, we can go to the sentencing. I mean, mm -hmm. But it may be live streamed also where he's yeah. live streaming the verdict. I'll bet they live stream the sentencing too. Yeah. Well, thank you, Crystal. We have really tried. We, we've right. been well, really we have lucky local... in this case. We've worked really hard on this case, but we've also been lucky. We've had help. Yeah. We've had some very uh, smart and in the know people that have helped us uh, to know the real deal. Right. We have. Yeah. We have, which is really cool. But that's what it's like to be local to something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I can't imagine. I was thinking about that. We're going to be back in the Fremont County courtroom pretty soon. <laughs> Keeping that cushion in my car that I've been taking Madison County. In. <laughs> Holy Good crap. Idea. Yeah, the courtroom at Fremont's no more comfortable. And I am not looking forward to the Fremont County courtroom in July and no, February. It, it won't be air conditioned, I'll bet you 100 bucks. Oh, no. That's a gazillion year old building. Yeah. And it'll be hot as hell in there. It's second floor, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be hot. Have poor Judge Boyce dying in his robe. Yeah. Yeah. We've uh, been yeah. on it since the very beginning. I remember the day that I saw a Southeast or an East Idaho News article 
about a missing teenage girl, well, two missing children, particularly mm-hmm. a missing teenage girl that was just a year younger than my daughter. Right. And, and that, uh, you know, was missing from here in Rexburg. And I was like, what? And I sent it to my sisters and said, does anybody know these kids? No. Yeah. Sent it to my daughter. Do you know this girl? She was a senior. She was the editor of the high school paper. She pretty much knew everybody in her school. She's like, I've never seen that girl. Uh Mars's friend who works at a little local coffee hut said that she had get, served her coffee before mm-hmm. at the Rhine and, or, or coffee or whatever, hot chocolate or whatever she'd ordered. She said that she had seen her before come through their drive through but that was the only person that we could find that even knew who she was. Yeah. And that was our first exposure to this case. And this that was, was before we knew that she hadn't been in school locally or anything. We just assumed. Yeah, this was in December of 2019. Yeah, very early December. Yeah. I know, it was weird. I remember, because we always have conversations about missing kids in our area. Because between the three of us, we have, you know, my son's 27 now. But for a long time, we had kids in various high schools and junior highs. And so we were always looking to see, does anybody know this kid? You know? Yeah, yeah. And, And that one just really hung with me. I'm like, this girl, this kid. JJ, I mean, he went to the grade school down the road from our house. Yeah. Uh, Tylee should have gone to high school with my daughter. Like, where are these kids? Yeah, yeah, that was our very first exposure. And it's just gone on from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's what's up with Vallow. But uh, in a crazy twist, we're going to talk about something else. <laughs> I know. Weird, right? We actually had time to research some of our other cases and talk to you about those. Let's talk about the West trial. Yes. So this is the uh, murders of Orrin and Orson West. They were three and four years old in uh, Bakersfield, California, California City, California, which is right outside of Bakersfield, uh, or I think kind of like a suburb of Bakersfield. Uh, When they went missing, their parents had called the police and said that they went missing from their backyard. And they lived right on the edge of a deep desert. And people were there everywhere, searching, helping search uh, from the parents, Jacqueline and Trezell. They were adopted parents. Some of the uh, bio families ended up there once it made it onto the news. There were huge, massive searches across the desert for these children and across the, uh, the neighborhood and it kind of immediately looked fishy. And um, we stood, we were on this case from the very beginning too, actually. And uh, I remember reaching out to a friend of mine that lives in Bakersfield and asking her a little bit about the terrain and the area to try and understand it a little bit more. And yeah. it was very scary to think that possibly these two little guys could have wandered out on that desert alone. It was three days before Christmas and it was just a terrifying thought. And the search went on and on and on. And accusations started flying between families. Uh, Some family members started to get very uh, withdrawn from the press or volatile with the press. And it went on and on and on and on and on. And more it went on, people started to think, these people are lying. Then the bio mom came out and said that her kids were illegally and inappropriately taken from her by CPS and put up for adoption. 
and that these folks had adopted them well before her rights to fight for them had expired and that she and then we had a dad of one of them come out of the woodwork and say that he had never been given any right of refusal to take his child and it just got weirder and weirder well that is so illegal like you have to terminate parental rights in a situation like that from both parents I don't yeah. know how they got away with this. Like, as an adoptive parent myself, I know what happened with my son's parents. Yeah. You know, he was essentially, from, as far as the legal system was concerned, an orphan when we adopted him. His parental yeah. rights have been severed for both parents. I don't know how they got away with that with the dad. He was in another state. Yeah. But they have to track them down and serve mm-hmm. them and they have a certain amount of time to respond. I mean, they have rights. Right. And this dad did not get treated as though he did. And I know maybe California law is way different, but I really doubt that you can adopt some children out without legal action yeah. against both parents. That just yeah. does not fly. Truly. So this case has been very suspicious and fishy from the beginning, obviously. And finally, an arrest warrant was issued uh, after a little year, little more than a year after the disappearance of the boys uh, for the parents. Yeah. And they were found driving around in a motor home, hiding out basically. Um, there happened to be a man in the gas station that saw them that recognized them and called the police. And that's yeah. how they ended up getting arrested. And, so they have been at trial the same time that De Belvalo has been at trial. Right. This case has not gotten nearly the same kind of coverage, unfortunately, and mm-hmm. it deserves it. But wow. uh, it so does. there has been a news station from Bakersfield that's been live tweeting it. So I've been paying as much attention as I could to it. Some interesting things that we learned. Uh, so the West had actually adopted. They had two bio children of their own. And they had adopted two sets of brothers. So right. Warren and Orson, Orson sorry, were the babies. And then there were some little guys that were older than that. Well, the smoking gun for the prosecution really has been the testimony of those children. Because when these little boys went missing, those kids were taken by CPS and they were never returned to the West. Right. Uh, the West actually fought from jail last summer there was some action, uh, some legal action, a restraining order against the West to not be able to contact those kids or have any contact with them because they were trying to get jail visitation with them. And of course, the prosecution's like, these kids are witnesses. They're not going anywhere near you. And victims. And victims, definitely (sighs) victims. So there has been uh, multiple kids on the stand that have testified. There was a 16-year-old boy who had stayed with them for a time. I don't think that he's one of these boys who said that he had repeatedly seen Jacqueline put one of the little boys in a chokehold to make them stop crying. Oh, my God. One constant from people who know this family is that these little boys were crying all the time. That they were constantly crying and sad. Which, to me, means that their needs weren't being met. Right. Uh, it's that little. Yeah. Yeah. They were hungry, thirsty, weren't being changed, mm-hmm. weren't sleeping, yep. you know. Uh, yeah. So 
the oldest bio son testified and he made kind of a a contradicting statement this was yesterday or two days ago two days ago two days ago he was on the stand he made two different statements he said because there's a real question about whether or not these little boys ever actually made it to the california city home they had just moved there very recently from an apartment in bakersfield and there was really no evidence in the house that these little guys had ever lived there and the dogs that they brought never picked up a scent of these kids in the house which really made uh investigators wonder how long have these kids been missing well they're in the opening statement they said they think they were missing for three months or that they yeah they had been gone for three months by the time they reported them missing yeah there was no sign of them in the house it was three days before christmas there wasn't a single present under the Christmas tree for Oren or Orson. There were presents for all the other kids, but nothing for these two. There were no diapers. There were a few, like, size 5 diapers that were folded up and put up on a top shelf in a closet. But no dirty diapers, no wipes, no indication of children that were in diapers. There were no toothbrushes for them. There were no sippy cups or bottles or any, you know, like little kids' dishes of any sort. Right. Like there were no little kid clothes, shoes, toys. There was no indication of them in this house. So they get the oldest son on the stand two days ago. And he says, essentially, he kind of bounced back and forth. First, he said that uh, maybe... One of them had moved with him. them, maybe one of them hadn't moved with them. Uh, basically, what they have said is that one of the little boys died by throwing up, like vomiting, being ill and vomiting and choking in the night. One of the younger kids said that the, uh, they saw mom and dad carry him into the kitchen uh, pu- vomiting and sick and, and he died. Then he said that, and that was Oren. Then he also said that he heard a bump in the night in the California city home. And after that, he never saw Orson again. God. But there was a contradiction about whether, how many boys were seen in the van when when they left Bakersfield in December on December 19th, it's a small contradiction and he's a, he's a kid, you know, but that of course the defense was all over that. So the defense, they did a thing. They put on a defense. I know this is wild. Uh, How in the world did Lori's camp not? I'm still there. But anyway, no, we're right. moving on. Uh, they <laughs> called, oh gosh, today, this morning. It's maddening. Actually, I hate it when the defense calls witnesses. So maybe we <laughs> we probably dodged some bullets and uh, high blood pressure on uh, them not at Lori Vallow's trial. But right. anyway, so they call this woman to the stand this morning, Dr. Susan Napolitano. She is a... For, forensic psychologist and psychiatrist 
And she was there to discuss the questioning techniques or the interview techniques used on the kids. Trying to say that the interviewer used coercive and suggestive questioning techniques that may have implanted false memories into the boys' minds. Basically, based on what proof other she, than her word? I, she didn't have a lot of proof. She said that she was hired at $350 an hour to review this case for the defense. The parents each had their own lawyers, but they were all uh, public defenders, so the county was paying for this. And she put 100 hours of work into studying all of the different interviews and yada yada. So essentially, she was paid about $35,000 to come here and say that. Right. Uh, she also said they used social pressure on him during his interview and basically just tried to put some doubt in the mind of the jurors that what the kids were saying was accurate or not. However, under cross, they asked her if she had reviewed the 2,000-page offense report that was generated in this case uh, or any other evidence except for the children's interviews, then no, she did not. They asked her if she had written a report about her findings that they could, uh, you know, access to be able to really get a sense of what she discovered. She did not. Oh my God. They asked she her. literally just wants people to take her on her word. They asked her, what did you do that justified you being paid more than $35,000 to come here and say this today? And she didn't have much else to say. So she watched a few, a few videos mm -hmm. out of context because she doesn't even know really what this case is. Mm -hmm. Makes thirty-five grand and shows up for the defense and yep. says these things. Mm -hmm. yep. well, that's not credible at no. all. Super gross. But then they rested. I mean, what have they got other than the children's bodies have never been found? Yep. I mean, that's the shitty part about this. There is a lot of other evidence. Uh, it is circumstantial. There's quite a bit, though. Um, the, and again, unless we covered the West Trial the way we've covered the Ballot Trial, I could never give it all to you. Uh, but you can always do a little more work on that yourself, too, if you're interested. But it is very sad that their bodies have never been recovered. And just the whole thing. I mean, it's horrifying. But at any rate, uh, they rested. And so tomorrow morning, they are doing jury instruction. And tomorrow afternoon, they're hitting closing arguments. Holy shit. That's yeah. insane how just step by step it's followed. And yeah. yes, Christy, you're right. The, the defense is kidnapping. That they're yeah. still sticking with their ridiculous, unprovable story mm -hmm. that the kids were kidnapped. Yep. They, yep. They're still trying to claim kidnapping. The motive that at least in the opening we'll see what the closing brings but the opening uh motive for the state was that they wanted to collect the money that they were getting from the state to be adoptive parents without actually having to deal with these two because they were difficult oh my god yep which i gotta tell you it's not very much money especially kids that little yeah little kids get less money 
when they get older as teenagers, it's a little bit more, but having adopt, I got, we got our son at 14. We adopted him at 16. Uh, what we got barely fed him, let alone mm-hmm. everything else that we, that we, you know, yeah, spent but if you on have him. four kids you adopted. Right. And I'm thinking it may be a little better or they had better benefits in California because neither of them worked. I'm sure California does have better benefits than Idaho, but it's still not that much money. No. And to, to kill these little kids over there, it's mm-hmm. just so sick. When Trezell was first interviewed by the police, they asked him about working and, and basically he indicated they were just full-time parents. And yeah, they were actually just living off of the benefits and the money they were making fostering these kids, or, or not fostering, but after adopting these kids. This they did foster them before they adopted them. This is one of the big arguments against allowing families that adopt a huge number of children or foster a huge number of children is that there are cases like this in which parents are literally living off their stipends Mm -hmm. and that it it attracts predatory people into foster care and foster adopt. Yep. And this is a great example of that. It is. So is the Ariel Kalua case. And we will yes, be reporting deeply on that when we get to their trial. Their trial was supposed to be right now, too. And it actually got moved to, I think, August. So again, it's been moved like three times. Oh, that, that makes me Hawaii. so mad. These people. Mm. Yeah, it is, yep. It is such it's a, it's a very similar case to this one, actually, in a lot of ways. So we'll get to that one later. But that's what's up in the West case. So we're going to have a lot to say about that moving forward. Uh, as well so also that uh, judge also did not allow cameras in the courtroom and has been just as combative as judge Boyce has been about the uh, press on this case mm-hmm. yeah yeah well there's you know as particularly locally in that case there's a lot of public interest because people went out and have searched and searched and searched for these little boys oh yeah they're oh, yeah. very invested in this oh people in the know. community are super invested yeah for sure yeah so that's but there has not been a lot of news when you yeah. go out digging for articles there's not much no. which is sad it's it awful because we there's so many cases we've covered in the last couple of years in relation to foster and adopt situations that have been so horrific Mm-hmm. These should be people should be screaming from the rooftops about yeah. these cases because these are the most vulnerable children in yeah. our country, our kids in those systems. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So with that, I am going to turn it over to you to talk to us about the Koberger case. The Koberger case. So it may seem like the Valor case is the only Idaho case right now, but it isn't. We've mm-hmm. got the Brian Koberger. Uh, a uh, quadruple murder trial out of Moscow, Idaho. Uh, of course, this is a near and dear to our hearts as well because it's an Idaho case and we have college students at not that university, but others. We also have a niece dating a boy from that college, that university. So, yeah. you know, th- this one is a big one for us. So a few things have gone on. Now, you know, there's a gag order in the Brian Koberger case, and that did get upheld. It went clear to the Idaho Supreme Court. It's still being upheld. The press has sued. It's gotten nowhere. But we have, we do have some things. Yeah. So I want to share a little bit. One of the things that happened uh, a little while back is that the one roommate, Bethany Funk, she's the roommate who 
allegedly saw Koberger leaving the house after the murders. Mm -hmm. She's the one that froze and panicked and waited five or six hours, maybe longer, before telling anyone about what she saw. Mm -hmm. Well, she has been fighting a subpoena to come back and testify in his preliminary hearing that's coming up at the end of June. Mm -hmm. She is from Nevada. She's gone home to Nevada and she does not want to come back and testify. There's a lot of rumor swirling around why that is. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to address that because we don't have any proof of any of it. Um, but it is interesting. So she was actually being called by the defense mm -hmm. and she hired her own attorney who filed the motion to quash the subpoena um, yeah. that would have brought her here for the preliminary hearing and then again for the trial. I, I'm very puzzled by this whole thing. You would think she would want to, I don't know, help convict the guy that killed f three of her roommates and a, and a boy she knew. Like, I don't know. This girl is very puzzling to me, has been from the very beginning. Uh-huh. So what they agreed to is that Koberger's attorneys could go to Nevada and interview her uh, mm -hmm. in lieu of her coming to the preliminary hearing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but one of the attorneys was quoted as saying, Bethany Funk has information material to the charges against Mr. Koberger. Mm -hmm. Portions of information Ms. Funk has is mm -hmm. exculpatory to the defendant. They think what she saw is exculpatory, which would mean exonerating. Mm -hmm. now, very one quick correction. It was mm -hmm. Dylan that saw Brian. It was Bethany who they're trying to oh, call in to testify. Right. You're right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Bethany. Um, I find this odd that her information would be considered exculpatory. What does she know that's exculpatory? Right. Um, it's interesting to me that it, this is coming from the defense. Mm -hmm. um, Ms. Funk's information is unique to her experiences and cannot be provided by another witness. Um, she says she's already told the police everything she knows. She's been interviewed repeatedly. Mm -hmm. You know, all of this. So... They apparently were, well, here's the other problem. Um, Nevada will not make her go. No. She's in another state and Nevada says we don't have to make her go. That's not in their law. Right. Which yeah. is strange to me. This is yeah. a quadruple murder trial. Why? Yeah. yeah. So anyway. And what the hell does Bethany Funk know? Right. What does she know? And what does she know that's exculpatory? Exculpatory. I would think she, if she knew anything, it would be inculpatory. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I, I, I don't get it. Um, we also had had a tip from a police officer uh, right. in Idaho that uh, the police absolutely believe he had an accomplice and they absolutely believe that it was a roommate. Yes, that is what we have heard. Again, we cannot prove that in any way, but no. we were certainly watching this closely. Yeah. Um, right. The prosecution could do a grand jury, but they're not. They're doing a preliminary hearing yeah. instead of a grand jury. So mm -hmm. I don't know. So anyway, they went and interviewed her. She's not coming. Mm -hmm. Interesting. A couple of other things. So 
Koberger um, got another attorney. So he's now tying up between the Vallo case and the Koberger case. We're tying up a lot of um, death penalty certified <laughs> public defenders because there are not that many in Idaho. No. So she, a new attorney has been added to his case. Her name is Elisa G. Massoth. She's now co-counsel um, in this case. Uh-huh. She actually went to the University of Washington. No, no, she went to U of I. She went to the University of Idaho. That's right. Um, Which is interesting. Yeah. Uh, Her website says that she's qualified to defend clients facing death penalty. And under her about section, she claims to be one of the top criminal defense lawyers in Idaho, which I find hilarious. Um, According to who? That seems a little Self-imposed awards, I guess. Um, She has been um, on the Idaho Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers. Uh, She was a president of that. Like, she's done some stuff, definitely. I don't want to say she hasn't. But I think that's that sounds like an attorney for you to say that about themselves on their website. Uh, She did. She has. She overturned a case of a man accused of attempted murder and kidnapping. So... Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. She on appeal overturned. He was convicted of four consecutive life sentences plus 50 years. Yeah. And on appeal, she got his case turn, uh, thrown out based on witness mistaken identity of her clients. Interesting. Does that have anything to do with Bethany Funk? I don't know. Right. Anyway, yeah. she's been appointed uh, to work alongside uh, the other, I forget her name, um, the other attorney. So it's very interesting that his attorneys are women. Yeah. Um, it is. Yeah. With his, uh, the rumors of his attitude towards women. Definitely I know. kind of interesting. And yes, yeah, some of you guys are asking oh, how Taylor. far. Taylor is the other Taylor, attorney. that's right. How far from Rexburg is uh, Moscow? It's about nine hours. It's yeah. a long ways away. About mm-hmm. 500 miles. Yeah. Idaho is a big state mm-hmm. uh, geographically. Yeah. Not yeah. a lot of people, but plenty of land. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's in the panhandle. We're in southeastern Idaho. So it's a ways from us. Mm-hmm. The other thing, though, this is, I think, some of the most interesting stuff that's going on. So um, his attorneys, you know, are demanding a bunch of discovery be turned over to them for before the preliminary hearing, which of course is very standard stuff. And it sounds like the same kinds of fights that have gone on with the Daybell and Vallow cases. You know, they're um, reiterating that they've been asking, they asked February 3rd and March 24th, and now they've asked again. And, you know, who knows what's actually true that like they're getting things as they can get them, whatever. Sure. Um, but one of the things they have asked for is all body cam related to him. And what I have to show you is some body cam from a traffic stop from him in Pullman. And uh, it's interesting. It doesn't have anything to do with the murders. This happened a month before the murders happened. But this is the most I've ever seen of him actually like speaking and communicating with another person. Mm -hmm. He's a dick. 
the way he speaks to this, by the way, female police officer is very interesting. So I edited this down. It was like a 10 minute video. I've got it down to about five, but watch this and just listen to him. Um, the way that he speaks, the way that he communicates with her. It's very interesting. We're going to watch it and then we'll talk about it some more. So here is the traffic stop. Video recorded. Again, no, I think you know why I stopped you. You ran the red light. What actually happened was I was stuck in the middle of the intersection. Yeah, so I, was I was behind you the, the whole left. time. Yeah. Yeah. So technically you're not supposed to enter the intersection at all for that reason. Because if the light turns red, then you're stuck in the intersection and then you run the red light. So that's the reason I stopped you. Do you have your license on you? Do you have the registration and insurance? You just get this for you out. You what? I'm just gonna get this out for you. Okay. So can you? Would you? Explain that to me a little bit further. So in Pennsylvania, when you're mm -hmm. stuck like in their intersection, mm -hmm. you have to make the left. So what would what would the appropriate thing for me to have done? Not, just just you're not supposed to block an intersection like that in Washington. So the just by you blocking the intersection, that's technically a ticketable violation. And then thus, then you're running a red light. So it's another ticketable offense. So you're not supposed to proceed into the intersection until you can go because a lot of people do what you just did right is like you're sitting in the intersection yeah. waiting and then turns and then you're blocking so yeah there was a little <laughs> bit of confusion with speeding because someone had stopped i wasn't sure what they were doing and then they put on their light to turn mm -hmm. so i thought that maybe they were letting me go through oh did you see that no mm -mm. yeah like right before i made the turn there was someone who like, made a right they didn't have their you know, their signal on, so I wasn't sure if they were just waiting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I would just advise yeah. uh, just don't enter the intersection until you can go, so you don't get stuck. Um, let's see. But in that situation, the best thing to do then would be back up. And not... I don't know if there's a best thing I, to I do in that situation, because you're either going to back up into somebody, yeah. or you're going to run a red light. So, or you're going to be sitting in an intersection. Yeah. There's not really a great option there. Yeah, mm -hmm. I was just slightly into the crosswalk, so, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, where I'm, I'm from Pennsylvania, we mm -hmm. actually don't have, like, crosswalks. Oh, So even if you're, if you're kind of slightly, they have, there's a little bit more leeway as well. Like, there are a few lines, like, there's one white line and there's another one in mm -hmm. front. Like, there's, like, a, like a certain yeah. margin from which you can actually kind of put your vehicle, uh, place your vehicle. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, so I know laws vary state to state, but there is a law in Washington for blocking an intersection like that. Proceeding through when yeah. it, you don't, um, when you're just stalling. I forget the actual verbiage, I can find it for you, but it's like stalling, blocking an intersection. Yeah. I'm just curious uh -huh. about the law, I don't mean to. Oh no, yeah, I yeah, can I find it for you. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, one second. That looks good on a Hyundai. I don't see Pennsylvania registration like at all. Okay, let's see. Expires November 22nd, or 2022. Okay. 
And yeah, one of those is actually. Yeah. Okay, that looks good. I'll hand that back to you. I'm just gonna go check your info. I'll try to find that uh, RCW, the law for you, and I'll be right back. Thank you. All right. Okay, so I found it. So I don't know what in Pennsylvania, the where you go to find laws, but in Washington it's called the Revised Code of Washington. So I'll try to turn my brightness up, but um, it's basically it's just called an RCW. So it's RCW 46.61.202. So it's no driver shall enter an intersection unless there is significant space on the other side of the intersection. Um, to accommodate the vehicle, he is operating without obstructing the passage of other vehicles, despite any traffic control signals, signal indications to proceed. So you had a green light, so you're thinking you can go, but you're blocking the intersection. Yeah. So that's, um, if you're ever curious in any laws in Washington, uh, just revised code of Washington. Um, so I'm not writing a ticket or anything like that today. I understand you're from Pennsylvania, but in the future, don't proceed through the intersection. You can't get stopped yeah. for that alone um, unless you can clearly just clear it right away. Okay. So, um, so that basically, I understand. I've you're just supposed to wait behind the yeah. the white line. Drivers do it all the time. Um, but it never even occurred to me that that was actually something wrong. But I, yeah. well, except for the fact that I was blocking the crosswalk, mm -hmm. which is what yeah. I went through. And states vary a lot of, yeah. from laws like Pennsylvania might not even have that law, but in Washington we do. I, I'm actually just from a very rural area, mm -hmm. so we just don't have crosswalks. Oh. Unless I visit an area where there are crosswalks, gotcha. and then it's it's not very frequent. Yeah. yeah I, I do apologize if I was asking you too many questions about the mm -hmm. law. I wasn't trying to, like... No, no, no. Not at all. Like, I understand you're not from here, so... Yeah. Um, if you don't... A lot of people don't know a bunch of laws. Like, I only know it because this is what I do, but... Um, You know what Washington isn't? Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that went on. That was five minutes. The actual stop itself was nine and a half minutes long, right? How, who talks to the police that long? You're like, fine, give mm -hmm. me my ticket, I'll get out. He gets out of the freaking ticket. He says they don't have crosswalks in Pennsylvania. Are you kidding me? Just just for fun, I googled it, and um, as you, I'm sure, can figure out, they certainly do, yeah. Right, right. It, it was really strange, and the way he just questioned her and questioned her, and then, you know, oh, I'm sorry if I'm questioning you too much, which he knows he is, you know? Well, right. He that knows was, he's being a dick. That was Brian's planning right there. It really was. I thought it was just, it helped me get a better picture of him because he hasn't, we haven't heard him speak in court. Like mm. we haven't seen hardly anything of him as a person. And so I found this really interesting, um, you know, and then all the excuses. And I, I don't know. I just found it strange, like to go back and forth with an officer that much to the point that she goes to her car, she prints the law in her in her cruiser and yeah. brings it back to him. Yeah. Yeah. He is very condescending. Mm -hmm. His only chance to talk to a female. That may be right. Mm -hmm. Incel. Definitely incel yeah. because he was not trying to be rude. And yet he was quite rude. Mm hmm. Right. Would he have acted the same with a male officer? I doubt it. Well, he hasn't. We've seen some of his uh, 
the times that he was pulled over by male officers and he didn't act like that at all. No, no. Well, no. and and yeah, he's a terrible driver. We know he has that neurological uh, issue that is called visual snow. And so he sees like static sort of in his vision mm -hmm. and he was pulled over many times. Oh my gosh. Some of them, those times in Moscow and then some of them in Pullman, but mm -hmm. I, and he got pulled over in Idaho. Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. So he got pulled over twice going from Idaho to Pennsylvania. Oh yeah. He got pulled over in that like four, three or four months span more than I've ever been pulled over in my entire life. Oh yeah. Like he gets pulled over all the time. Mm -hmm. You would think being, you know, a quadruple murderer that he might want to, I don't know, have less contact with the cops. Yeah. Really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yes, it right? is. Right? Elliot said, I kind of had an aha moment when I finally got to hear his voice. I kind of felt weird about even giving it attention until I realized everyone in the Sleuth community felt the same. Right? Really weird. And sorry for the weird uh, formatting. I thought I formatted that video for YouTube, but it sure looks like it's formatted for TikTok, doesn't it? I don't know what happened. Yeah. But, uh, oh, Elliot says he was pulled over back to back in my state of Indiana within just a few minutes of each other and for the same infraction. Yeah. Wow. Wasn't it following too close? Fo that's right. Following too close. He he's a terrible driver. Can you imagine what his insurance must be? I was thinking he didn't that get a ticket that time, but he was pretty good. I think of talking his way out of tickets. But yeah, I think so. But that was really telling. I feel like I learned some things about him just witnessing that interaction that mm -hmm. we did not know before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. So anyway, that's what I have on Cobra right now. Yeah. We will keep watching, of course, and. His preliminary is coming up in June, although no cameras in the courtroom. Yeah. So we'll have to report on that after the fact. Unfortunately, we won't be able to go up there. It's a long ways away, but <laughs> he doesn't have a car anymore. That's well, true. Well, he doesn't. That is true. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. He said, sorry, we're so punchy or something like that on the way to get Thai food. Yeah, right, dad Elliot. said that. Yeah, yeah dad, dad said but that. I'm blown away by how many times he was pulled over in the time that he started school at Pullman mm -hmm. to the time he went home for mm -hmm. Christmas before he was arrested. It's a lot. But just in that same mm -hmm. vein of that kind of attitude and behavior. Don't forget that he had been fired from his position as a student. Uh, TA. TA because yeah. of bullshit behavior. Mm -hmm. you know, we read through that and, you know, before uh, all of the, the letter that he received uh, releasing him that detailed yeah. all of the behavior issues, all of the conversations that they had had with him about his behavior, all of the uh, interactions and altercations he'd had. He'd only been there a semester. Yeah. 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 And the people that had him in their, uh, you know, had classes with him and or from him that said he was an asshole. Yeah. 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 So very just interesting. I really I, I wanted to be able to hear his voice and look at his face and assess yeah. him a little bit. And I'm really glad we got that opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Well, interesting. back to you, Katie. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Letitia. Stop. Stout. Stout. <laughs> God damn it. Every time. Stout. <laughs> 
Letitia Stauk. Of course, this is that uh, heinous human who Ooh. murdered her poor little stepson, Gannon. Gannon, who was, you know, I pulled up pictures of all of my victims tonight and I forgot to show you. Oh. Uh, so just because we should, these are the West boys. This is Orin yeah. and Orson that I discussed earlier. Sweet little babies. Yes. God. Here's Gannon. Also, Gannon was a sweet kid. Such a sweet kid. He was 11 years old. He was in the care of his stepmother while his dad was working. And she murdered him. And then went through all of these insane steps uh, while he was missing. She had done a bunch of things, put his body in a tote and hid it in the basement for a while and then in a storage unit. And then uh, throughout the course of time, rented a whole bunch of different rental cars uh, as she headed across the country from Colorado, clear to Florida with his body in a suitcase and then threw that suitcase under a bridge. And she was miraculously caught. Really. Right? It, it, it really is rather amazing that she was. Mm -hmm. And she was such an unbelievable jerk at her trial. She was a see you next Tuesday at her trial. Oh, my God. She... She was right up kept, there with Daryl Brooks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Almost. She Oof. kept refusing or trying to refuse to even show up on court days. And the judge finally said, signed an order saying, we'll bring you here gagged, bound, kicking, screaming. It doesn't matter. Your ass is going to be in court. Mm -hmm. And so there for a while, she was in court, but wasn't quite sitting with her attorneys, was sitting away from them a little ways, clear up against the wall. Then she was sitting back near her attorneys. There arose a problem when she kept, uh, she was in trouble for making gestures towards the uh, jury or looking like, like maybe this? she was mouthing things to them. No, that comes too. Oh. <laughs> then there was that. Then she was flipping off the jury and the witnesses, including her own daughter. Yeah. She's, She's the, one of the most hateful people I've ever seen. Oh my gosh. There was a clip of her and one of her attorneys watching something on his computer, just laughing their heads off. And you can see Al, Gannon's dad, behind them, you know, in, in the courtroom, in the spectator's part, watching that happening, looking so pissed and puzzled. I mean, yeah, laying her head on the table, yawning, sleeping. I just well, and like pulling all her hair over her face. Uh, yeah. Yep. She was just determined to be an asshole. You know, Gannon's dad says that she was a completely different person when he married her. His statement, his victims impact statement, was so sweet. And I didn't bring it tonight because it's quite long. The victim impact statements were absolutely heartbreaking. I, I felt like they did a beautiful job, their family did, in representing Gannon. But what I did bring is a video of the judge speaking uh, after the verdict. So the jury found her guilty on all four counts. So I have a little bit of the judge speaking. He actually spoke for nearly 20 minutes. Uh, we're not going to watch all of that. But there is, I have about two minutes of him talking in the beginning. He was wonderful. Wow, was he wonderful. And, well, and then probably really wanted to have his opportunity to say 
mm-hmm. exactly what he thought of her. I'm very curious to hear boys speak mm-hmm. to Lori Ballow for the same reason. Yes. And then the sentencing. So in this state, in this case, he she was sentenced immediately, which, yeah. as we know, is not going to be the way it happens for Lori. But that's how it happened here. So let's take a watch here. Not fathom the pain Mr. Stauk and Ms. Bullard have experienced as a result of the defendant's actions. A sentence in a criminal case such as this will not change the fact that their son's life was taken from them and no sentence I impose and nothing I say will ever change that fact. Ms. Stauk, you betrayed the person you loved enough to marry. You told your husband lies and took away someone he loved. You took away every day that Mr. Stauk or Ms. Bullard could have had with their son. When you take a life, regardless of how you do that, you forever alter the future. Neither Mr. Stout nor Ms. Bullard will ever see their son graduate from high school, go through the joy and the pain of that first love, or get married. They will never know what kind of impact their son may have had on the world if only he had lived to become an adult. And had Gannon's body not been found, they never would have known what happened to Gannon. They would always have had a lingering doubt about what happened to Gannon. And I cannot imagine the pain and sense of loss associated with that. Statistically, there is a high correlation between violent acts, including uh, murders and family members. I have had a number of cases which have demonstrated one person's capacity for cruelty toward another human being. I can, however, say without hesitation that the facts in this case are the most horrific I have ever seen. Your conduct in this case deserves the maximum punishment that I can impose under Colorado law. As such, with respect to the charge of first-degree murder after deliberation, I remand you to the custody of the Colorado Department of Corrections for the remainder of your life with no possibility of parole. With respect to the charge of murder in the first degree of a child under 12 by a person in a position of trust, I remand you to the custody of Colorado Department of Corrections for the remainder of your life with no possibility of parole. Those two sentences will merge. If you have questions about that, you can ask your attorneys. With respect to the charge of tampering with a deceased human body, I'm also going to sentence you to 12 years, followed by a three-year period of parole. That sentence is to be consecutive to the life sentences that I've already imposed. With respect to tampering with physical evidence, I'm going to impose an 18-month sentence. That sentence is also consecutive uh, to, the murder char- to the sentences for the murder charges that I have imposed. I also understand with the consent of the prosecution, and I'm assuming no objection from the defense, that I will dismiss all the charges in 20 CR 3170, close that out, subject to restitution, give the people uh, 49 days for restitution, 14 days for response, 
And if there's an issue, we will set it within the 90 days, uh, within 90 days from. I think that resolves all outstanding matters. Is there anything else that the prosecution wishes for me to address? No, Your Honor, thank you. Defense? Yes. Court will be in recess. There you have it. I think my heart needs those words from Judge Boyce, you know, something similar. But I agree with all of you about that judge's voice. He's a great voice for mm -hmm. you should have a podcast, man. Right. He's, He's got awesome a beautiful voice. voice. Yeah. He does. So yep. Tisha is done. So that is that. So thank God there was justice for Gannon. How could the jury not find her guilty after all of that nonsense? Right. And all of the shit she did. I mean, they had a very, very strong case against her. Right. But Godfrey. There but was. let's move on. We still have quite a bit of ground we wanted to cover. We do. We're going to run ourselves right out of time. So, Chris, I want to read something really quick. Yeah. That um, I read today. And this is actually back to Vallow, but it's something that, because we've all talked a bit about, how, you know, did they really prove murder? And I want to read this little excerpt from Idaho law about um, the definition of this murder. Sorry, I'm trying to think and do stuff, find stuff on my phone. I forgot I was going to show this <laughs> on the screen, but I, I I didn't get a chance to edit it. But here's, here's what Idaho law says, because we were talking about this. Yes, we've talked about it several times. Did Lori really, you know, meet the qualifications for first degree murder? Yeah. This is the language. This is the legal definition in Idaho from the indictment. Uh, concerned in the commission of a first degree murder and did aid and abet in its commission or not being present, advised and encouraged its commission or by command compelled another to commit the crime and did so with malice aforethought and did so willingly, deliberately, and with premeditation, which resulted in the death of a human being. Boom. Guilty on all counts. Boom. Yes. Absolutely. She did all of those things. Because mm -hmm. we were talking yesterday, maybe we won't see murder, maybe it'll only be conspiracy, but by this definition in the indictment, Lori, most definitely, yeah, they did prove murder charges for her. I just wanted to say that yeah. because I read it today. I'd read it before and I wanted to go back and review it because, you know, I, I don't know, as I'm sure you all are, I'm twisting in my guts about this thing. And Oh, me too. I, I think that's why I'm like, we might not get all counts. Let's all just calm down. We right, might not right. get all counts. Like, but I don't want to get my hopes up too much, but yeah. But those text messages... Just the things that she said. I don't even care if they say you can't hear what anybody else said. Mm -hmm. What she said. She did all of those things. Yeah. Yep. For her own children. And the hair. Since there was no defense to fight the hair, which I thought they would fight it to tooth and nail and basically make I it really irrelevant. Completely planning but on a case in they appeal. Didn't. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So anyway, I wanted to share that. But yes, do you want me to share another of my cases? I like that. Yes. Uh, yeah. What would you like to do? Let's talk about 
<sighs> this Utah mom. Yeah. You may or may not know if you're new with us, um, but we do cover actually a lot of Mormon adjacent cases, not just the Daybell Vallow, but many others, because these cases don't get very much attention. And so we focus on them. So let's talk about uh, Corey Richens. You may have heard about Corey Richens. She has just been arrested for the poisoning death of her husband. He died a year ago. Sorry, that blew up not well. Uh, but this is Corey with her husband. And this is the grief book, Are You With Me?, that she wrote with her children mm -hmm. to help them recover from the death of their father, which she caused. Yeah. So um, she is now, she's now in custody, thank mm -hmm. God, uh, charged with her husband's murder. He died from a lethal dose of illicit fentanyl. Yeah. So she, an acquaintance of hers has come forward who acquired $900 worth of illicit fentanyl for her twice. She attempted to poison him more than once and actually told a friend of his that he thought that his wife was trying to poison him. Yeah. The other thing that she did, he had, Eric was owned a business with a partner and they had this joint life insurance policy that would pay out to either of them if one of them died because they own a business together. Mm -hmm. To change that life insurance policy to make herself the sole beneficiary of that life insurance policy. And he knew that she had done that. Yeah. I mean, the things that she did leading up to this, I, I'm like, dude, what were you, why did you stay with this person? Right. Charles, anyone? I mean, like, gosh. He had about five yeah. times the lethal dose in his system of illicit fentanyl. Yep. So they searched her house recently, you know, took phones, computers. Um, they actually found communication between her and her dealer. And then they've spoken with the dealer about the drugs. And, and they did say that, yes, they obtained those pills for her on okay. two different occasions. Um, they also obtained hydrocodone for her another time. She yeah. called, she had reached out to this acquaintance and said she wanted some of the Michael Jackson stuff mm -hmm. because Michael Jackson died of a fentanyl overdose. And that, uh, so last year on February 11th, she paid $900 for 15 to 30 fentanyl pills. And about two weeks later on February 26th, she did it again. Wow. So she got the hydrocodone once and the fentanyl twice. Mm -hmm. So he died. Eric died on March 4th of 2022. Um, EMS went to the house because it was an unresponsive man. They tried to revive him. Uh, and he died. And this was yeah. six days after she got those that second round of pills. Yeah. So what she said was that they were celebrating a close closing on a house for her business. Mm -hmm. Now this is interesting. So they were kind of half-ass Mormons. I would call them Jack Mormons because mm -hmm. 
she brought him a cocktail in bed. It was a Moscow mule. Mm-hmm. And she had put that fentanyl in that cocktail. And obviously mixing fentanyl, a high dose of fentanyl and alcohol is going to be fatal. Yeah. After she brought him that, she then went and slept with one of her sons because he was having a night terror, apparently. So uh-huh. she wasn't even in the room with him. Mm. When she woke up about three hours later, he was cold to the touch. Mm-hmm. Sound familiar, anyone? Yeah. So then she called 911. Yep. Uh, so she's like been on TV. The books on, had been for sale on Amazon. All this stuff about helping her three sons through, or her three children, it's sons, yeah, three sons, through dealing with their grief over their dad, and apparently nighttime was the very worst. Mm-hmm. And also and, helping others to deal with their grief, because yes. she's learned so much in this last year that um, she wanted to share that with other people. Yeah. Right. So two months before he died is when she tried to change the life insurance policy. She logged into his life insurance policy. Now, does this sound familiar? That was, you know, with his business partner and changed them, changed the beneficiary from each other to her as the only beneficiary. But the company reached out to them because this seemed like an odd change considering that this was a business related life insurance policy. Mm -hmm. And so he knew she had done it. Yeah. He, um had told family if something were to happen to him that she had, it, she was to blame. And I don't know if she, maybe he just stayed to protect his kids. He was probably really afraid for them. But prior to all this happening, they had been in Greece on a vacation. This was a few years ago and she brought him a drink. He became very ill and had told, um, family members that his wife had tried to kill him, that he believed his wife had tried to kill him. This was literally years before. I, Wow. I don't know. And in um, 2022, there was an incident on Valentine's Day where he got sick after eating a sandwich that she had made for him. Apparently, after one bite, he broke out in hives and couldn't breathe. Wow. Um, and he, they had an EpiPen for their son that he used and he took some Benadryl and then, and he lived. So I don't know what she what gave him. Hell? I, I'm not sure what maybe his allergies were that she had exposed him to something that he was allergic to. But I mean, she tried at least twice before she was, you know, um, See, uh, here first successful. Uh, yeah. She, yeah, she is. This is her first husband. Wow. Really sad. So Phyllis wanted to know if her book was by chance published by Spring Creek Publishing. (laughs) Right? Had this happened a few years ago, probably. Mm -hmm. No, apparently Amazon has pulled it down. I wish they would do the same to Chad Daybell's books, but they haven't. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So apparently um, after the life insurance thing happened, he was looking into a divorce and figuring out what to do to protect his kids. Mm-hmm. 
So apparently what they were supposedly celebrating was a $2 million real estate investment for her business. And that he had told other people that he was going to say that he wouldn't sign the papers. And the day after he died, she signed the papers on her own. Oh my God. So we know what really happened Mm -hmm. there is he told her no. Yep. So she is in uh, the Summit County Jail and is being held without bail. And there's another hearing coming up on May 19th. Okay. So holy shit. Like this is in Park City, Utah. I mean, does no one get divorced anymore? They just murder their spouse so they can have their life insurance and whatever. Like it's, it's a terrifying story. But it's got so many similarities to the Daybell Vallo situation. It it's does. just crazy. It's wild. Yeah. So we will be following that one closely. We're also following the one uh, James Craig out of Colorado, the dentist, mm-hmm. also Mormon, who poisoned his wife. Yes. Um, and we covered that not shortly before the trial began. So we'll be updating that one here coming up soon as well. But we definitely follow these Mormon cases because we understand the culture and we, you know, there's a lot, as you know, cause we talk about it all the time with Dave Ovalo. We like to cover these cases because they don't get much attention. Mm-hmm. I got to tell you guys, the Mormons are not okay. And I'll tell you why in my next segment, but I'm going to kick it back to you first. Okay. Well, I'm going to talk. We have a little update in Irene Gakwa. Oh, yes. So this is the lovely Irene as well as Nathaniel Heitman, her ex-boyfriend, or, well, rotted had bag been of mayonnaise. boyfriend. Yes, there you go. Rotted bag of mayonnaise left out in the sun too long. That's a good yeah. one. I like that. So Irene vanished a couple of years ago, about this time. Well, it was in February of 2021. And Irene had moved to Gillette, Wyoming, to live with Nathan. He, she actually came here from Kenya to study nursing in Idaho at Boise yeah. State. And she did that. And then she moved to Gillette to live with Nathan, her boyfriend, and had been there for a time and then just vanished. And there's been a lot of searches for her. There is a coalition of women, a group of women in Gillette that have been absolutely magnificent in advocating for Irene, searching yeah. for Irene, uh, harassing and putting a lot of pressure on Nathan, which I am here for. Yes, they've every been second. amazing. Not a one of them has ever met Irene. They just knew no. that there was this woman missing from their town. So every time I talk about Irene, I like to give them some huge props and say yeah. that every community needs a group of them. They're Definitely. still holding searches. They're still holding searches. They're amazing. Where's Irene? There's some real talk. There, there was a 55 gallon barrel or 50, yeah, 55 gallon barrel drum um, associated with Nathan that made people think that perhaps he did something with her body that way. But what he did do within a few weeks of her disappearing was he drained her bank accounts. He closed her email account like deleted it and did some other online things to her finances. 
And that's all he's been charged with. He still has not been charged with her disappearance. He claims that she just got pissed off and left. That she told him she was going to Texas. And he just never saw her again. So, you know. And why Texas? She had family in Boise. Family in Kenya. Why the hell would she go to Texas? Why Texas? But also. What? what, Daniel or Nathan, wouldn't she need her money? Probably still be using her email account, too. I mean, you know, yeah, but gosh, no, apparently not. So he has been charged, though, and we've been kind of waiting all this time for at least those charges to do something. And when uh, he just was about to go to uh, to court on this, he suddenly changed his plea and pled guilty. So... That's at least something. Mm-hmm. Her family is still really holding hope that she gets found. But at least Nathan Heitman is finally going to do some time for what he did do while they hopefully figure out how to charge him and and figure out what happened to Irene. Yeah. But that was at least some progress, so I wanted to share that. So, Christy, I'm going to kick it back over to you for our last uh, story tonight. Yeah, and this is a sad one. And I will tell you that we don't normally cover suicides, but this is a rather well-known social media figure. This is Heather Armstrong. Heather Armstrong was kind of one of the early mommy bloggers. Uh Uh, She she was known as Deuce, Mm -hmm. D-O-O-C-E, because it was a I guess it was a joke because she spelled said spelled it that way instead of dude one time or something. And it was a big joke. So uh-huh. She went under that name. Uh, she's 47 years old, lives in Salt Lake City. She is a lapsed Mormon. And uh, she, you know, made a lot of money on her blog about parenthood and marriage. And she's had a fairly tumultuous life, but a lot of Uh, The things that she talked about in her blog were about her struggle with depression and how much she struggled over the years with her depression and how that affected her ability to parent and her relationships. And, you know, news media has called her the queen of the mommy bloggers. And so Uh probably I think many people I didn't know her, but I don't really follow mommy bloggers. Uh, She. she was on Oprah, you know, like very well known. She had about 8.5 million readers a month, according to a 2019 article, which is a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, her husband, John Armstrong, and she has two kids. Mm-hmm. All lived in Salt Lake City and uh, she was found dead in her home and it uh, has been deemed a suicide, which I just, it's very sad. I think it's very sad. And I don't know if you know this, but statistically, there are more prescriptions written for antidepressants in the state of Utah than per capita anywhere else in the U.S. It's a very, it's a huge epidemic depression is in Mormon women because Mormon women women are driven to be the perfect wife and mother. And she wasn't super active as a Mormon anymore, but believe me, uh, that was deep built deeply within her and 
she lost her fight to depression. And I just, I think it's very sad. And it's something that we need to be aware of Mm -hmm. that constant drive to be perfect and to be the perfect wife and mom. The pressure of that is so hard. Mm -hmm. And right. Of course she's, you know, she's got her whole life online. And so there's, you know, the ad it's bad enough just in your own life, but then you add that to now you're this public figure with this huge public presence. That's really difficult. Yeah, uh, it's it's a really, really big deal. And it is a big problem in the state of Utah. And it is a big problem in Mormon women. Mm-hmm. It's a huge amount of pressure. So I just wanted to share that and wish all our love to her family. Yeah. And, you know, it, it is true in men as well, but it is not as big of a, an epidemic mm-hmm. as it is in women. No, because women in the LDS religion are in a real box mm-hmm. uh, that is expected to be perfect and clean at all times. Yep. And, and that's tough. And I just, I think it's really sad. Heather Armstrong was, you know, doing good work and trying really hard Yep. and, and was plenty good enough to not have had that much pressure on her, but it was there. Certainly. And, and it, it won, which I think is yeah. sad. Really sad and so sad for her kids. Yeah. Yeah. I just, and her husband, it just, it's terrible. Yep. Yep. All of it. Yep. Or her boyfriend. She had a boyfriend. Oh, boyfriend. That's right. Her boyfriend at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Very sad. Uh, A couple of follow-ups on Irene Glockwa. She's actually only been missing for a year, which is crazy to me. I feel like we've been covering this case forever. It's just because there's never any, like... They never get anywhere with it. So we're always looking to see if they've gotten anywhere. Right. I said two years because I thought it was. And then I went back and looked because I'm like, that might be wrong. Yeah, that's wrong. It feels like it's been forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, uh, somebody wanted to know where Nathan is. He's in Gen Pop in the jail there in Gillette. He's going to be sentenced on June 14th. So he's not going anywhere. Good. Also, Stacy Coaster is the lady in Gillette that has really led the charge against Nathan and towards trying to find her. And Nathan at one point actually filed for a restraining order against Stacy. And when they went in front of the judge, they were like, yeah, bye-bye. Nope. And denied that because basically she's like, I'm trying to find your fiance that's been, has disappeared for almost a year now. Right. And you haven't looked for her at all. So what are you doing? Right. Yeah, you what know, are you and the doing, judge basically Agnes? was like, "Yeah, we're not, we're not doing this anyway." So, I'll hail that, that. as Stacy. She's amazing. Yeah. 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 Also, I can't imagine the Gillette Jail is much of a jail. I bet it's quite small. This is not a big mm-hmm. place. No. And uh, yeah, I I would imagine old Nathan's not having a real good time in that jail. I'll bet the Gillette Jail is rough. <laughs> yeah. I'll bet that is. is a rough place. Yeah. This is Wyoming. This is the literal wild, wild west. Well, Nathan worked from home. And I had spoken to some of the girls in Gillette a couple of times. And they told me they basically had surveillance on his house. They knew his comings and goings. They knew his schedule. They knew when he left, when he came home, that where he ordered his food from. And they pretty much had him all figured out. Mm-hmm. Well, now he's probably living on Hot Pockets just like Chad. Probably, which is exactly yeah. what he deserves. But. God, I hope mm-hmm. we could just find Irene. So there's yep. some closure for her family. Yep. 
Yep. Well, we're not going to stop talking about Irene's case. Uh, no, her family is in Kenya. Well, she has some brothers in Boise, but uh, yes. most of her parents are in Kenya. Most of her family's in Kenya, and they are just desperately hoping for some answers here. So I can't imagine what that must feel like to have a missing family member um, in another country like that. Yeah. That would be just terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Gillette jail, it's actually the Campbell County jail, but yeah, in Gillette. Yeah. Yep. Well, there you go. Chad doesn't even deserve cold pockets. It's true. He doesn't need a microwave. Whenever we say hot pockets, I don't know if you, any of you are Jim Gaffigan fans, but he's a comedian and he has <laughs> the funniest bit on hot pockets, but he says it hot pockets and he says it that way like from the commercial mm -hmm. and he says it that way over and over and over again in that bit and so i can never not hear it that way yeah. <laughs> every time we talk about chad eating hot pockets in fremont county just think uh -huh. it's really funny i know me too <laughs> i i as well hear that every time <laughs> yep yeah they raised money to uh yep to help push for uh yeah, advocacy and also for signs. At one point, they had signs up and down Nathan Heitman Street on various neighbors' yards demanding to know <laughs> where is Irene. I love They've it. They've done some very good and salty work. We appreciate they have. it. And it's very, it. it's very similar to the things that were happening here when before Tylee and JJ's bodies were found. You know, there were the, the, the shirts on um, like telephone poles. Yeah. <laughs> Where yeah. are the children and pictures of the kids? I, mm -hmm. I love it when communities get involved in things like mm -hmm. that. We have to get involved. We can't just sit back and let mm -hmm. the legal system do it all because they can't. They can't and they, they don't. Can't. In Irene's case, you have to imagine Gillette, Wyoming is whiter than white. Oh, yes. And Mary. darling little black Irene living in this whitey town. No offense to Gillette, but it's just true. Uh, hadn't lived there very long. Hadn't worked there for very long. Nobody really knew her. It would have been, and her most of her family is in Kenya. It was almost too easy, you know, to just disappear her. And were it not for the ladies in this town screaming to the rooftops about her, she would have just she would have i know he would have been successful she would have just slipped by the wayside and i don't mean that it's because of race i just mean that she was not known nobody knew her nobody really cared about her because they didn't know her and she had Which a few co-workers that noticed her absence of course but that was pretty much it yeah yeah well, it's awesome when people in the community get involved like that because if not mm -hmm. law enforcement has a little bit of a tendency to move on when they can't find anything yeah that's correct. He thought nobody cared. Yeah. Yep. And the women in their town proved that whenever there's a missing woman in this town, then by God, we're going to care. Yeah. Yep. I know. I, I do love yep. that. <laughs> Taylor said, I don't want to hear the words Chad, meet, or storm in the same, same sentence in any variation. <laughs> right? Uh, I will never recover from that little naming we discovered. Oh, my God. <laughs> Good Lord. I could have lived a thousand lifetimes and not known that. But wait, we get to hear it all again in a year. In Chad's not. trial. Come on, just plead guilty, you jackass. Plead already, Chad. Right. Come on, man. 
I would say do it for your kids so they don't have to relive this again, but uh, he's already proven he doesn't give a flying fuck about them, so that won't be happening. The jury's definitely going to need therapy. Can you imagine? No. And to be inundated with it all at once like this, rather than it's been doled out to us over three years, you know, and this, some of it was new in court, but not all of it. But man, to just get slammed with all of this at once in that trial. Holy shit. So painful. I might have so much compassion for the jury. It just, and their families. Yeah. Because can you imagine what they have been like? Uh, Basset Hound, Fairy Magic. Uh, what they have, what it's been like for their families that they're coming home with from this horror every day and they can't talk about it. And like, how much does this change a person? Maybe forever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so straight-laced on the surface, but naming their sex organs, right? Oof. Well, I mean, I have to admit, we named Lori's a long time ago. Well, okay, we did. We did name Lori's vagina, which might have seemed weird, except that it was a very key part of this entire case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And uh, frankly, I think if Chad had heard our name for it, he would have totally degree- agreed, but... uh, God, I, it I would have ended up in the James and Elena story. <laughs> Storm and Elena the golden and vagina. And the case of the golden vagina. Yeah. <laughs> totally see it. He'll probably write it from the jingle. <laughs> yes. <Ugh. laughs> Fran said, I've heard I heard a male podcaster say Chad's storm only sprinkled. Biffany, you missed this? Yes, they it actually said in open court a few days ago that Chad and Lori had named his penis Storm or The Storm. Gross. Yes. And we've been calling Lori the Golden Vagina pretty much the entire time we've been covering this case because we kind of felt like that's what got her through through all of the shit she has done throughout her life mm-hmm. that that she must have a golden vagina because she got all of these men to support her and do whatever she wanted for them and not just her, her husband gross. all men her brother mm-hmm. the bishop that helped her pull all that bullshit on charles other men that she came in oh the cop that helped her in in arizona that helped her uh get out of having to have a psych eval yeah. when she and Charles were potentially going to get divorced. Yeah. yeah. That old... Face to face, storm to storm. That was cheek to cheek and loin to loin. And you know it. Oh, <laughs> however, that was said too. gross, yes. but true. Yes. <laughs> but we have been you saying that like um, the golden vagina has gotten pretty tarnished these days. Mm-hmm. It's not working anymore. No, no, no. For sure, no. We'll see if she can shine it up and flash it in prison and uh, get some of the things she wants. I suspect oh, she, she will. will. Absolutely, she will. Yeah. If Lori and Chad don't both start their own little mini cults in prison, mm-hmm. I will be very surprised. Oh, they will. You know they will. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Oh, we don't know on Melanie P. We all want her to be charged, but uh, why hasn't she been? I don't know. They may be saving her for Chad's trial, too. That's possible. I just don't don't know. know. Yeah. Oh, Amy, it was brass, not gold. Now it's all green and crusty. Oh, gross. Mm, Somebody once before. It was was gold-filled, yes. Oh, yeah. Someone once before said it was fool's gold. (laughs) I think that. I'm sure it was Paula that said that. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Too funny. All righty. Well, you guys... uh, 
we probably better go. We've got a yeah. very big day tomorrow. So keep an eye on Twitter and Facebook. We will be giving you all the deets. And it's going to be interesting to see what it's like to go into uh, Madison tomorrow. It's going to be crowded. It's going to be so tight in there. Ugh. It's going to suck. I kind of hope they do open the second room. Frankly, if they open the second room, I will be the first guy in there. Me too. Because yeah. it'll be quieter, hopefully, in there and less... Uh, challenging we'll see we'll find out yeah because we're gonna have to do a lot of shushing tomorrow i'm afraid mm -hmm. people consider it a little too much of a party for being murder trial well but you know darla was there earlier this week and said right that they had now banned treats and eating and candy and shit from people the people are passing out candy Finally. and treats and stuff i'm mm -hmm. like my god this is not a movie okay mm -hmm. this is real life actual yeah. people have been murdered it's just gross. I don't. I Lives don't have been ruined. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, we'll let you all know. Uh, yes, and we'll we be will. back tomorrow night. Uh, same place, same time. Mm -hmm. All righty, guys. Well, thanks for being here. This has been yet another production of the True Crime Squad. Bye, everybody.